You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Get in the know, non-stop Vikings talk. It's Purple Daily on Score North and scorenorth.com. Welcome into Purple Access, which is um, which is an offshoot of the Purple Daily family, but uh, no less exciting. It's Zolgad, it's Declan Goff, producing and co-hosting, and our friend Tyler Fornis from VikingsWire.com, who is absolutely killing it there putting up about uh, 15 stories per day. Once in a while, a Zolgag column in the, the mix as well. But uh, Tyler, we are two weeks out from the magical day. Don't forget, too, that the uh, Surly Draft Party at Park Tavern will be there, as will uh, Purple Daily with me, with Declan, uh, with Mackie, with Tyler chiming in as well. So two weeks from today, join us in the 11th frame, Park Tavern, St. Louis Park. Uh, or, as always, you can catch our show on YouTube as well, the podcast. Um, Tyler, I want to start here with you. So we all went through... I did one too. It wasn't as exciting as yours, though, with a bold prediction about where the Vikings might go with their first round draft pick. And it feels like you're becoming more and more convinced that it's going to be a quarterback and that the Vikings actually might take drastic measures to make it a quarterback they want. Take us through your thought process and what you think the odds are that the Vikings could walk away from night one of the draft two weeks from tonight with their quarterback of the future. So I want to phrase it like this, Judd. It's not necessarily a prediction. The way you should be using mock drafts until we get a lot closer to the draft, and the morning of the draft, I'm going to have a full predictive mock. Um, I try to do like kind of predictions, but it's also about exploring scenarios because you never know when somebody's going to be uh, have a film released minutes before the draft with them doing a gas mask bomb. Like you have to be prepared for those kind of situations. Which, by the way, is not a big deal now. No, who cares? Exactly. Like um, I didn't care then. It's, <laughs> it is. It kind of just is what it is. But when you look at these things, you have to look and explore situations. Yep. That's why there are some mocks that just look so absurd. But you're not trying to predict 100%. You're trying to explore, hey, if this happens, what happens here? And the, the one that you're going to see a lot is the Texans not taking a quarterback at two and taking Will Anderson, the Alabama edge rusher and then potentially trying to trade back up to get a quarterback. And what I explored was the report Monday that the Cardinals had talked to at least six teams about trading number three. The interesting thing about Quasi Dopamensa is he was part of two regimes. He was not in the building for either trade, but he was a part of two regimes that ended up making massive commitments to trading for quarterbacks. The 49ers going up for Trey Lance and the Cleveland Browns trading for Deshaun Watson. He was a part of those regimes. Is he going to be of the same ilk? Is he going to target a quarterback in the same way? Well, I took a look at what that might look like, and I ended up having the Vikings trade from 23 to 3. They give up 23 next year's first and the first in 2025, along with Daniil Hunter. I don't necessarily see that as the most plausible outcome, 
but I, I don't think it's completely unrealistic. I give a trade-up of that ilk around a 10% chance of happening because if a guy falls, there's going to be somebody that Kwesi Dopamens is in love with. And there's going to be somebody that Kevin O'Connell's in love with. A guy that they identify and be like, that's our dude. Whether it's C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, or God forbid, Hendon Hooker. There is going to be a guy, more than likely, that this regime wants to go target. And if they have the ability to go get him, they're going to try. So I explored what that would look like. And it it was interesting in kind of working through that process. But the Vikings, if they believe in a guy, they're going to go get him. And it all depends on how they approach it and if they're able to. Because here's the thing. The Vikings can offer a really good trade to whoever they want. That team's got to accept. That team's got to be comfortable moving back to 23. And with the talent pool kind of being relatively similar between picks 20 and 60, it could be difficult to get a team in the top 10 being willing to move back that far without paying a massive, massive premium. Tyler, on the Daniil front, do you, do you look at the, do you look at him as a guy in his career where you can you can still get a first round pick for him? What's kind of his you know ceiling in a trade because he's now twenty nine, he's not uh, one of the younger players anymore, but he's obviously still a dynamic pass rusher. Uh, whether it's to go up to three or hell, just to trade him outright, do you think you can still get a first round pick for Daniil Hunter? I think a back end of the first round pick isn't um, absurd. Khalil Mack at about thirty three years old just fetched a two and a six. Right. And he had a massive contract that you were absorbing. Daniel Hunter is going to need a new contract, but you can structure that however you want. And being that he's younger, it's it's a lot more palatable for a team to be able to take on a Daniel Hunter rather than a Khalil Mack. I'm not necessarily saying he's 100% worth the first round pick. He would have been worth two if we would have traded him uh, going into the 2020 season. But at this point, I think, if you got picked 25, say for him, just kind of as an example, I think it's plausible. So let, let's explore the, the um, as, as you said, Tyler, God forbid, Hendon Hooker scenario. How much do you, are you buying this? And I'm not just talking from the Viking standpoint. I'm talking from an overall guy who is seemingly in mocks jumped up quite a bit. How much are you buying the Hooker steam and how much do you think is ultimately a smokescreen or a couple of mock drafts did this and then mock drafts followed? So I guess as in what we call right now uh, super silly season in the National Football League, how much reality is there in Hendon Hooker's rise and how much of it is just sort of a he's a quarterback, he might have some talent, seems like a, seems like a safe bet to try and actually – move him up in mock drafts. So this is a very layered conversation, Judd. And let's let's kind of start here. The reason why guys rise late in the process is because of two things. One, the way they go through the process with the interviews, with the testing, with the medicals. Um, every report we've seen is Hendon Hooker is absolutely nailing these interviews and is a very intelligent quarterback when it comes to being able to talk about defenses, being talked about uh, how to work through things. On top of that, it's also about when analysts like myself are able to get to the All-22. There's a massive difference between what you see on Saturdays versus breaking it down very critically. So the more people get access to the film, the more people watch it, then you start to see the hype. Deontay Banks is the prime example, the Maryland cornerback. He is the number one uh, player that the Vikings have been mocked. And I'm going to pull this up 
kind of as we're talking because mm-hmm. I find it very interesting. Dane Brugler was the first person to um, mock Deontay Banks to the Minnesota Vikings. And I, I messaged him. I'm like, hey, I have I know nothing about Deontay Banks. Uh, this is the first I've seen him in a mock. What do I need to watch in order to get a sense of him? He told me a couple games I watched him and got back to him like, yeah, you weren't kidding. This guy's got some skills. And the more people got a hold of his tape and really watched it critically, the more you started to see him rise. I have collected so far over 300 mock drafts, 338 as of this past Sunday, 42 of them were Deontay Banks. And that kind of shows you how the process works as far as the media is concerned. The more people watch, the more people hype. And then when you have somebody like Dane Brugler mention him, that's that's what got my attention. That's why I ended up watching him almost immediately because I wanted to understand. And with Hooker, I think it's kind of a combination plate. I, I think it's about 35% legit and 65% smokescreen. Brett Coleman, um, who hosts the film room on YouTube, and he is one of the best when it comes to critically breaking down football. Like he's kind of a modern day John Madden, and he breaks it down with a very critical eye, but doesn't make you feel dumb when you're watching it. He makes you feel like empowered and smart. He, he has the ability to talk to uh, anybody with any level of football. Like that's that's just the kind of guy he is and uh kind of with hooker it's it's a very unique conundrum because trying to uh, i i'm kind of losing my train of thought here because i went on such a tangent um with hooker it's very interesting because there's some people that really believe in him and there's some people that don't you're gonna get a lot of smoke screen you're gonna like get a lot of bs remember patrick mahomes everybody thought the chiefs were taking a linebacker they move up for him and they they kept that very very quiet um, Col- here's what I was getting at with Coleman. He actually identified like Mike Tannenbaum, CEO of the 33rd team, and also is an ESPN analyst. He shares an agency with Hendon Hooker, so you can kind of put two and two together <laughs> as to why Mike Tannenbaum might be, um, might might have some actual like, hey, there. It's not necessarily a coincidence that I'm hyping this guy up so much. Right. I'm. I'm not convinced he's a top quarterback in this class. I have him at five, but he's got a, a third round grade. Like he's got a, a very similar range as Jaron Hall, Clayton Toon, Dorian Thompson, Robinson. Like, I'm not talking to great players. So you have to be able to contextualize everything. But considering how clean he throws the football, I can easily see a, a few coaches being like, I can fix him. I can work with this because yeah. they do that all the time. Tyler, how do these top quarterback prospects like Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, I know Anthony Richardson, Will Levis are are in that mix too. How do those guys stack up, and not to put you completely on the spot here, but how do those guys stack up to previous quarterback classes like, for example, Burrow versus Herbert? Burrow and Herbert were like surefire first-round picks. They were, they were going to be franchise guys. Prospect-wise, how do those guys kind of stack up to previous quarterback classes in recent draft memory? I don't know if you remember this, Declan, but Herbert was far from a sure thing. He played in a very wonky offense at Oregon where instead of utilizing his gifts throwing vertically, they had him throwing sideline to sideline. He was throwing like flat routes, quick slant, like quick outs and screens. He was doing a lot of that kind of stuff. They weren't using his ability to really throw it down the field at all. So his projection was very weird. And that's why he ended up being the third quarterback off the board. Burrow felt like a sure thing. Trevor Lawrence felt like a sure thing. Um, Andrew Luck. Right. Um, it was like compared to John Elway, this class, everybody's got like a little bit of a question mark. The closest thing to a sure thing here is CJ Stroud. 
The the biggest variance is going to be Anthony Richardson because you do have to correct some mechanical issues. But I think a lot of that can be fixed with just reps. He threw less than 400 passes in college, only 13 total starts, and he's 21 years old. He's Sorry, he turns 21 in May. He's very young. Um, this class, I would say, is much better than last year. Everybody knows how high I was on Malik Willis. I hear about it in my mentions every other day. But it, it's it's a it's a good, not great class. I don't think it's – I think it could end up being better than 2021 because 2021 overall has kind of been a disappointment. Fields has been weird. Uh, Trey Lance has had the injury issues, and the only real sample size we have is him in a monsoon. Um, Zach Wilson has been a dud. Mac Jones, I think, stinks. Um, like, I, this class is – it's going to be high variance. I think that's the best way to put it. Um, so I, I think the next topic I'm about to bring up, I think the lead is – probably the possibility that has arisen that you talked about that the Texans might not take a quarterback in the first round, but two weeks out from the draft, Tyler, give me a few other big storylines that have emerged or things that have uh, changed from previously, as far as the common perception about the draft, especially as it pertains to the first round. So I want to talk about something that Jim Nagy brought up and I love Jim Nagy. He is the director of the senior bowl. But something to remember about Jim Nagy is he's a little less of a football guy now, and he's more of a salesman. He hypes up his guys, and he should. That is his job. And he mentioned that he talked to NFL teams, and most of them only have one first-round wide receiver in Jackson Smith and Jigba. But that also doesn't mean that only one receiver is going to go in the first round. Most teams have 20-ish first-round grades on players. That's why you sometimes see teams trade out of the first round because they don't see the value. I still think uh, four to five receivers are going to go in round one. It's a premium position. You want to target the guys that you really like, the guys that you want. And the fun thing about receiver, you're taking a position at receiver, an X, a Z, a slot, a power slot. You're you're targeting multiple types of players. So just because the Vikings and Giants both need a receiver, it doesn't mean they need the same type of receiver. Like yeah. that, I think that part is interesting. Where Jalen Carter and Will Anderson and Tyree Wilson come off the board, the three best defensive linemen in this class, is going to be fascinating because we have Arizona, who could take any one of them and really, really impact their defense. You have Houston, who it's not a surefire thing that they take a quarterback if Bryce Young's off the board. Lance Zerline, who is from Houston, does radio in Houston, is incredibly plugged in to the scene there. Like, that's not, I mean, D'Amico Ryan's the head coach, he's a defensive guy. It wouldn't be shocking. It would be. I think they should take a quarterback right now. But sure. when you talk about those things, and Jalen Carter has the off-field stuff. And I'm not going to – we've talked about it before, John. I'm not going to really – I'm going to only comment on what I know. Based on what I know, I don't care. I don't care about the off-field. I think he's the best overall football player in this class. But how those guys come off the board is going to be fascinating. Now you have the Lions desperately needing cornerbacks, and there's really good ones at the top. What the top 10 ends up shaking up like and who ends up falling down the board is really going to set the sales for the back end of the first round because that 10 to 19 is going to have some real value, whereas 20 to 31 isn't. This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com.
It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom, and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. Tyler, uh, with the wide receiver class, I saw uh, you know people are kind of doubting the legitimacy of a lot of these wide receivers as true wide receiver ones um, in, in the first one, outside of Jackson Smith, maybe Najigba. What do you kind of? What's your kind of take on that? And is it still worth it to draft one of these wide receivers in the first round, even though they're obviously just going to be, you know, let's be honest, wide receiver two to a Justin Jefferson? So I don't really have an issue taking a wide receiver if you if you don't think he's going to be a true alpha. Um, it's what do they do? Are they going to give you surplus value at that spot? And I think that's one of the bigger conversations. I think the one guy that can be a wide receiver one in this class is not Jackson Smith and Jigba. It's Quentin Johnston because of the profile he offers. He's similar to DK Metcalf in this way. They have very similar uh, positive abilities, attack down the field, physical, hard to bring down, great in the open field, but they don't turn very well. They don't have the sharpest route running. uh, And some of that hip like um, flexibility is just not there. So, But if you were able to clean up a little bit of that and he continues to do what he does well in the NFL, that's a number one receiver. Like sometimes, and Chris Ballard, the GM of the Colts, has talked about it. Focus on what a guy does well. You obviously want to pick apart what he doesn't do well and you want to contextualize that. But don't ignore what he does well. And I think what Quentin Johnson does well is just as good, if not better, than everybody else in this class. And that's the kind of guy I would want to take a bet on, especially in Minnesota, where he's not going to be in a position to command a massive target share, he's going to be a compliment, but he could be a guy. And I think that potential is what can, what can set a guy apart in a class that feels like a lot of complimentary pieces. Stella, be quiet. Excuse my dog. She gets all worked up about the draft every year. We go through this and I keep telling her, calm down. Um, on that same note, Tyler, I am in no way, shape or form trying to compare anyone in this class wide receiver wise to Justin Jefferson, but, I will ask the question this way. There was clearly some scouting issues and some assumptions about what Jefferson could and, most importantly, could not do. Um, I I think the perception among a lot of teams was that coming out of college, he he was a slot guy, which proved to be totally wrong. Um, Do you see talent-wise from this class the same type of thing from the wide receiver standpoint taking place and by that i mean do you see guys that you've watched on film and you say hey i think that translates to a different wide receiver position where that guy didn't get work because if you were to right now redraft the 2020 receiver class obviously jefferson would be at the top and he'd probably be a top five pick so Mm -hmm. there certainly are some things that fall through the cracks in the scouting and what teams evaluate are we potentially seeing that I think the one guy that you can really talk about that is Jackson Smith and Jigba. He okay. only really played in the slot at Ohio State. And if you, if you remember, this Ohio State receiving corps has been absolutely ludicrous for the past few years. They keep bringing in five-star players. Garrett Wilson went at 10 last year, Chris Olave at 11. And Brian Hartline, uh, former Ohio State receiver himself, was on that uh, national championship team back in 2002 with Maurice Claret, if you remember. He said that, he, one, he's one of the best recruiters and position coaches in all of college football. He was up for the Cincinnati job when Luke Fickle went to Wisconsin. But he said that Smith and Jigbo was the best receiver he's had with all the talent that is currently there 
including Marvin Harrison Jr., who's going to be a top five pick next year. Uh, best talent he's had, but he only played in the slot. So when I looked, I didn't see a lot of instances where he was facing press coverage. So I don't necessarily know that he can or can't. I just have questions on it. And can he be a Z on the outside? There's a good chance he can be. I just don't know. And I think that lingering question of trying to find tangible um, evidence to translate, Judd, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you did this in college, so it's going to translate to the NFL. It's about trying to find little things, like how great the footwork is at the line of scrimmage. And I just didn't see enough of it to be confident he can do it. And that's why he's a little lower for me in my rankings. But Jefferson, I don't think enough people went back to watch 2018 because he did it on the outside. And that's one of the scouting lessons I learned because I thought he was a slot. I had him as my wide receiver five. I was in love with Denzel Mims that draft. And he ended up going at 59, one pick behind taking Ezra Cleveland. I was sad the Vikings didn't get him, but now I'm pretty dang happy about it. And it's trying to find evidence that, okay, just because he has been asked to do it doesn't mean he can't. And I think Smith and Jigba, whether you believe he can or not, is going to determine whether he is a Justin Jefferson or a potential disappointment for what you take him as. Tyler, I saw your piece on Thursday morning about the amount of trades and how active uh, the Vikings have been in the first round of 14 trades involving first-round picks, whether that's uh, trading them away or acquiring new ones or taking new players, etc. Do you expect that trend to continue here? You have a nice breakdown on VikingsWire.com as well, but do you expect that trend to continue, that either they will trade one of those picks for a veteran player, move up or down the draft? Do you think the first-round trading will continue in 2023? I absolutely do. Um, I see about a 5% chance they stay at 23. And I think that 5% is contingent on their quarterback is at 23, whether it be Will Levis or Hendon Hooker. Um, If that guy's at 23, I think they take him. Uh, Kevin Seifert talked about it in a piece for ESPN today that he doesn't see him necessarily moving up for a guy, but they would take him if he's available at 23. But moving down just makes the most sense. Uh, The value in this class is on day two. And trading back and acquiring multiple day two picks, you get more shots at value, which is what Kwesi Mensa wants. And not only is it value as far as a draft capital perspective, it's value as far as a salary cap perspective, because you could have three guys making less than $2 million each on the salary cap next season by having three day two picks. That is incredibly appealing uh, when you have the kind of cap constraints the Vikings currently have. I think it's, probably a 95% chance the trade and I'd put about 80% of that on trading down five picks right now two weeks from now what's your best guess when this draft is done at how many picks the Vikings actually make so when I looked at the Vikings roster because I did a Vikings roster update earlier this week as well for Vikings wire they only have 66 players on the roster so that means they can add 24 bodies between now and then Last year's UDFA class was ranked as Thorne Nystrom's worst. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that it was so small. You're getting a lot less bites at the apple, but they had a lot more guys under contract. They had a lot more, uh, like, I can't remember the the term, um, the futures contracts. Mm -hmm. Uh, This year, they only have, I think, six. And that's going to make a massive difference as far as how you approach this draft. If I had to project, I would guess the Vikings take picks seven times. I think they're going to still move the board and they're going to end up acquiring picks, but then they're probably going to find a spot to move up for a guy as well, just like they did last year. Um, the, I don't think it's going to be a Spielman thing where they're just going to collect seventh-round picks. I think they're going to be strategic. I wouldn't be surprised if they don't pick in round seven, 
But I think seven picks makes the most sense. And then you go out, you sign a few guys to futures contracts, and you get a UDFA class of about 10 to 12 guys and see what happens. And do you think that there'll be a second round pick there, Tyler, right now? No second round pick for the Vikings. Uh, do you see a second round pick on day two for the Vikings? If I, yeah, like, uh, I'll do this. I, I Write this down, boys. The Vikings <laughs> will pick three times on day two. Okay. But not necessarily with right. the second round pick. I don't know. I'm sure there will be a second round pick, but I'm just going to project they're going to pick three times on day two. I just don't know if it's going to be multiple. So to th- that point, what would get you? So if, if you traded back, if you bailed backwards from th- the first round, but let's say you bailed back to the end of the first round so that the player that you took in the first round contains that fifth year option on his contract, what would it take to get a second round pick in such a trade? So like you go backwards yeah. from 23 to, I don't know, take your pick, Tyler. 30 or something like that. What would be the parameters uh, that it would take for you to actually obtain a second round pick in that trade? You're probably giving up 87. Um, it's okay. the Vikings 23rd overall pick does not have enough capital behind it in order right. to also acquire a second round pick. What I'm looking at is teams that have two second round picks. Pittsburgh is 32 and 49. Uh, the lions have 48 and 55. Is that a little too far back? Yeah, Probably but you'd be able to get two second round picks out of the deal. And Seattle has, I think it's 37 and 50. Uh, the Jets currently have 43 and 42. Like there are teams that have those multiple seconds that you can try and do business with. And I think that might be the smart play. But if you go down to 31, you're pro- if you want a second round pick, it's probably yep. going to be like a first, second, and either fourth or fifth for the Vikings first and third, just to try and make the values match up. Because unless a Jalen Carter's there at 23, I don't see there being that much of a a value demand where the Vikings can ask for a first and second. Last thing, how deep in your mind does this cornerback draft go? I think you can get a starter in, at the end of year one or in year two in the third round. Uh, two okay. guys I absolutely love in that slot. Um, Stanford's Kai Blue Kelly. Um, his dad, Brian, was the slot corner for the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers team in 2002. So there's a pedigree there. And then South Carolina's Darius Rush could end up being better than uh, his teammate, Cam Smith, who I have a first-round grade on. He ran a 4-3-6-40 at the Combine. He loses a lot early, but has the intelligence and athleticism to like undercut routes and make up ground, both in a smart way and an explosive way. So that will play out really well in man coverage, a guy who can recover. You just got to teach him not to lose early. And that is something that's more easily correctable than being able to make up speed and stuff with your athleticism. Absolutely. Great stuff, sir. Uh, And uh, again, check out Tyler's work. He does an absolutely outstanding job, not only with writing stuff, but coordinating all of the coverage, including mine. Believe it or not, I've got a boss. Vikingswire.com, vikingswire.com. Thanks, Tyler. Dex, take us home. Yeah, hit the subscribe button. Daily Minnesota Vikings Entertainment. We just want to see the Vikings win a Super Bowl before we die. Feedback Friday coming up tomorrow on Purple Daily.